Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report for Thursday the 25th of May. Yes, it's Thursday and for the future all episodes will appear on Thursdays. Today I'm bringing you an interview with James Murray, Editor-in-Chief of Business Green, the website for green business news and analysis. He had the idea of Business Green about the same time as I had the idea for the Sustainable Futures Report, so we've both been going for about 16 years. I set out to talk to James about mandatory net-zero transition policies, but in the event we had a wide-ranging discussion which included the role of China, carbon capture and storage, the resignation of the CEO of VERA, the offset certification body, and even the sponsorship by Drax Power of the upcoming Net Zero Festival. There's more detail of that during the interview and links to the Net Zero Festival on the Sustainable Futures Report website, which you will remember is sustainablefutures.report. Here's what we discussed. Well, today my guest is James Murray. He's editor-in-chief of Business Green, which is a website which specialises in green business news and analysis and also stages events. More about that a bit later on. He's been in that role since the beginning, 16 years ago nearly. So welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report, James. Uh, Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Let's start, first of all, about talking about uh, a mandatory net zero transition policy. That sounds, well, that sounds quite challenging, both for governments and for the organisations that have got to be brought in line. Tell us a bit more about uh, the situation as far as that's concerned, uh, James. It's a really interesting one, actually. So that for a long time, there's been this progress around um net zero climate risk reporting and the 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 task force on climate related financial disclosures this kind of global push to get companies to talk more and and provide investors with information on the climate related risks that they face um and then the next step from that is okay well you've reported on your climate risks and you've told your investors where there's risk exposure and where there's opportunities and the question then is, what do you do about it? How do, how do you how do you respond to that? So the UK government around the time of COP26 came up with this proposal that had been knocking around for a long time that, you know, companies should have to come up with net zero transition plans and they should have to tell their investors and their other stakeholders how they're planning to transition to net zero, how they're planning to respond um, to the sort of legally binding targets that we have. And there's a real logic to it. You know, the, the central premise is, you know, the UK and now many other countries have legally binding targets to get to net zero emissions uh, within less than 30 years. And if you're a corporate, you should have a plan to be contributing to that and dealing with that. Because if you don't, you're going to have huge kind of risk exposure as carbon taxes get bigger and other regulations come into play. And obviously, if you manage it effectively, you could get a significant um competitive edge so this proposal came forward that you know we should say to listed companies as part of your kind of corporate reporting requirement you should uh, be providing these plans you should be providing investors with details as to how you're going to transition and um and it is slowly quietly a little bit under the radar starting to happen these um these plans are starting to come forward and um <clears throat> you know there is talk of the regulation is getting more robust to ensure that um, companies do produce them. Well, that can only be good news. Although 
it seems quite clear that some high-profile companies, notably Shell at its annual uh, annual meeting uh, this week uh, and BP in its publicity, are absolutely determined to continue with fossil fuels as a major part of their transition plan. Um, but what about looking at this from an international point of view? We just had the G7, and uh, at the G7, they were talking about artificial intelligence and saying that they really ought to... Um, uh, consider that as a potentially exist existential problem. They did talk about climate change because that is also an existential problem, but there's been a lot of criticism and a lot of people saying they've not moved on from Carbis Bay, which was the G7, which was held two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the lot of the response to the G7 summit this week was that it was a bit underwhelming, that there should have been bolder moves. I mean, obviously, the NGOs have been pushing for kind of a clearer commitment and clearer target dates on phasing out unabated coal um, and, and, and phasing out fossil fuels altogether. And of course, none of that was forthcoming. I mean, I'm a little bit more optimistic on it than, than I think your, your question suggests, is that they, they did in the final communique once again, sort of absolutely reiterate their commitment to the Paris Agreement, to halting biodiversity loss, um, to massive increases in clean energy and clean technologies, uh, keeping the target at 1.5 degrees. Um, and, and they kind of really did sort of tie in their response to Russia's war on Ukraine with their pursuit of net zero emissions. Um, you know, it they, they stress that their goal to deliver net zero by 2050 at the latest remains unchanged, despite the turmoil in the energy markets. And they're increasingly sort of seeing clean energy as the way of eventually sort of defanging the aggression of, of petrostates like Russia. So I, I think there, you know, it didn't get as much coverage and as much sort of media focus as, as some of the other elements. And obviously AI is a very live issue at the moment. Um, but there's still a lot in there around you know, this clean energy economy action plan that, that they're working on and, and, and the targets within that that suggest we are on the cusp of or we're already deep within this sort of rapid investment boom in these green technologies globally. Um, and the net zero transition is, you know, often not getting as much attention as it d deserves, but it is quietly ticking forward, albeit so never at the pace that we want. So it's not just all talk, because that's a criticism of all the COP conferences which come every year. And when you look at making it domestic, you look at the British government. The British government is still licensing more oil and gas exploration. The British government has also authorised the opening of a new coal mine. Mm. Now, these are projects which will have a life of at least 40 years if the investors to get their money back. And throughout those 40 years, they will be uh, creating fossil fuel pollution. Um, and, and some say that 2050 is far too late. So how is that consistent with um, what they were saying at G7? Well, I mean, it's it's not. It's, you know, there is a fundamental and there is and all governments are guilty of it. There is a sort of fundamental um, hypocrisy and inconsistency there. Um, I mean, there's a few ways in which we can sort of start to unpick it and 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 hopefully move forward from here i mean the first thing to say about those projects is is interestingly labor have said they wouldn't support them so there is if there were to be a change of government there is a not insignificant chance it'll be very interesting to see if labor holds the line on this but mm, there's a not yeah. ins insignificant chance those projects will be rolled back and the approvals that have been granted will be rescinded which would be um a, a fascinating and very bold move uh, from the government um 
The other way in which you can potentially start to square the circle is around carbon capture and storage technology. Um, and, you know, there is there are projects around the world. There are plans in the UK to develop a pipeline of these projects. My frustration with this has always been that when they say we can use CCS to kind of square the circle, the answer is, well, go on then. Could you please actually do it and hurry along because you've been talking about it for a very long time? There is now a lot of projects in the pipeline that could start to demonstrate that at scale um, and and maybe ease slightly those concerns about why are we drilling for more stuff that will only create more pollution. However, that would only work at the margins. You're never going to have sufficient CCS scale to justify these investments going forward. And some of them will have to become stranded assets if we're to meet our climate targets. Um, and, and I sort of, I always go back to this. It, it is ridiculous that government's doing this, but if you put yourself in the shoes of the government, they always have the sort of the short term and the long term fear about the lights going off, about energy security. And they're ne and they're not quite, despite the huge investment in clean technology and the fact that they are committed to it and we are mobilizing huge changes in our energy system, they're not quite a hundred percent certain yet that it will work. So I often think these sort of these what seem like insane investments in fossil fuels are almost this sort of safety net that they're putting in place there to ensure that they can maintain that energy security if the clean tech transition doesn't come off at quite the pace that's expected. And ultimately, they are essentially justifying, you know, prioritizing that energy security over the climate considerations, which you can argue is wrong, but that's the sort of rationale that they're taking. Um, and the only way to sort of unlock that is to demonstrate as quickly as possible that the clean technologies do work and that these projects are going to become stranded assets and therefore that the investors would then back away from them very quickly and the energy companies would pivot as quickly as they can or die um, die out along the, along the way because they haven't transferred trans transitioned quickly enough. Um, and I think that's that's where the next 10 years is really exciting because this is sort of the crunch point uh, which we'll start to see, oh, hold on, a, be like a fully decarbonized power grid does work. Maybe we don't need as much gas. And therefore, are those projects making sense? Or, or, you know, or, or similarly, or oh, hang on, electric vehicles for everyone can work and the grid hasn't collapsed and this is dem demonstrable. And suddenly oil, the you know, oil demand just falls through the floor because no one's driving petrol cars anymore. So it's, you know, we are on the cusp of something really really exciting but also really sketchy and i i have very little sympathy for politicians because i think they've made so many dreadful decisions on this front but i do have a, a smidgen of sympathy in just how difficult this is how how difficult and how many moving parts there are and of course how crunchy the consequences are if you get it wrong absolutely just staying on the political theme Shall we look across the Atlantic to what uh, the Biden administration did towards the end of last year with the um, Inflation Reduction Act, which mm. brought in, what, $350 billion towards um, boosting renewable and clean technologies? And that's been echoed to some extent in Europe. Do you see that spreading across the rest of the world? Do you think it's a good idea or is it just business as usual in disguise? Um 
I don't think it's business as usual in disguise. Or is it? I mean, it's you know, it depends on how you're defining business as usual. But I think I think it is very very significant. And I think there was a, there was a piece just in the um, the FT this morning about how you know <clears throat> Labour's perception now of how the sort of the economic model is working is that there is a sort of a new global consensus. Well, you can call it Bidenomics or, or whatever you want to call it, but a more active state to solve the infrastructure problems that we have and obviously climate change is absolutely core within that um and 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 also solve the kind of the economic slowdown and stagnation and impact on quality of life that all that is having um and 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 then that feeds into geopolitics and trying to tackle our <clears throat> our reliance on fossil fuels and our increasingly uncompetitive position against sort of emerging economies so this bidenomics model i think is is quite a fundamental shift and it is transformative, and we're already seeing that with the scale of kind of clean tech investment that is unleashed um, in the US and appears to be doing so uh, in the EU as well. So um, it's it's a really big moment. It's I mean, it's, it's far too late. It, in many ways, it's almost the last roll of the dice. But if you were looking at sources for optimism that suggest we might meet the goals of the Paris Agreement, it would look something like this. It would require governments to go out and deliver awful lot of low carbon infrastructure at the kind of pace and scale that the IRA envisages. I mean, the argument, the, the, tr the crucial argument is that actually it's too, it's too slow. Um, but, you know, that's the, that's where we're at currently. I mean, it's, it's just enormously, enormously significant and transformative and it throws down the gauntlet to everyone else. And it's also worth pointing out all the focus, I mean, our sort of slightly Western focus has been on what the US and EU are doing. But this is very much a response to what China's been doing now for the best part of five, 10 years. And you look at their absolute dominance of the electric vehicle market, of the battery market, of the solar market, um, increasingly of the wind turbine market. And there's just this sort of, you know, they are, for a long time, they have been the world's sort of manufacturing base, but they are increasing the world's clean tech manufacturing base. Um, and they're turbocharging their decarbonisation efforts at a truly rapid pace, um, which in some ways is obviously fantastic news as they're the world's biggest polluter and they desperately need to decarbonise very rapidly. Um, but also from that kind of economic competitive perspective and geopolitical perspective, it presents huge challenges. Um, so, you know, the, the US and EU are sort of very slightly belatedly responding to to that that move from from China and 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 others as well who are starting to sort of recognise that this is the global growth story, and they are willing to intervene as governments and mobilise investment and direct projects to catalyse that growth and catalyse that development in a way that hopefully can finally be made compatible with the emissions limits that we've set ourselves. I don't think. China is getting the credit for that in the media. No, no, they're they're absolutely not. I mean, it's very difficult because they're, they're obviously it is a it is a complex story because they're also still building out fossil fuel assets. They're still massive polluters, um, and obviously, you know, immense concerns about human rights and and how they're using this newfound power. But equally, the idea that is often put about about what about China? They're doing nothing. It's just a complete myth. They're they're absolutely not doing nothing. They are the world's biggest renewables market, the world's biggest EV market, and they're investing massively in in turbocharging that from from this point. Right. 
Turning to offsets, uh, which a lot of people have been relying on in order to substantiate claims of having net zero or close to net zero operations. But there's been a lot of scepticism, and that culminated in a report in The Guardian and other organisations claiming that there was no substance to a lot of the offsets which, which were certified by an organisation called Vera and others. Now, that uh, the CEO of Vera has resigned uh, today, I think the announcement came out. Have you any? Uh, does that have any implications? Um, I mean, I'm absolutely not across the detail. I mean, we we reported the story that that he had he had stepped down after a long time with the business, and 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 there would be a change at the top. I mean, he's still staying on in an advisory role, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and and you know their response to those stories was very robust they, they they sort of insisted that a lot of their projects are still or, or the vast majority or if not all their projects are still sort of fall in line with the standards that they've set and they're kind of reviewing their processes and looking at how to make them more robust still um it's you know it's 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 a it's such a sort of complex area um and it's always you know and, and it's still relatively youthful so i think there are there are always going to be these concerns um but it's it's just not an easy one to unpick, is it? It's sort of on one side, it's clearly true that we do need to invest in forest protection. We do need to invest in carbon removals. We do need to invest um, in in finding a way to um, enable those kind of negative emissions projects. Um, on the other hand, that that inherently comes with immensely difficult questions about how you verify that those projects are delivering in the long term and. The, the 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 slight problem here again it it does all come back to government government hasn't really stepped in and provided the regulatory framework to enable the market to work with real confidence and as a net result you're in whenever you have that you are going to get some bad actors who come in and try and pull a bit of a fast one and people like Vera and others have been trying to resolve that have been trying to sort of come in and say okay now we will put in place more robust standards we will make this more credible but they're fighting a bit of an uphill battle because there's not the sort of the, the the regulatory underpinnings that and and the necessary funding to make that happen at the scale that you'd like to see. Um, so I, I think it's you know it's an issue that will run and run. Um, my slight concern with it is is the risk of throwing the the, the baby out with the bathwater. Is that you know there is now significant investment flowing into a lot of projects that are really good. Um, and we are going to need carbon removals to hit our net zero emissions targets. So you don't, you know, while you absolutely want to continue to scrutinise these projects and 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 these schemes as much as possible, you you don't want to sort of detonate confidence in them altogether because th th we are still going to need that investment, and we need to find we need to find a way to do it well and with confidence, not just turn around and go this is inherently flawed and wrong and it can never work because I, I think that would potentially sort of undermine progress right yeah when we started this conversation i mentioned that business green stages events and coming up in october we have the net zero festival you've got about 60 speakers some big names the ones i picked out were sir david king Matt Winning, the climate comedian who's been on the Sustainable Futures Report, and Sarah Mukherjee, who is the uh, head of IEMA, the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment, of which I'm a member, and several others as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got. I'm um, really pleased with the lineup. Um, we've got um, Alistair Campbell um, of uh, of podcasting fame now. Oh yeah. Um, he's he's going to be there talking about sort of strategy and um, communications, which obviously has a huge role to play in the in the climate transition. We've also we've also got Joanna Lumley um, of all people, um, mm. who is obviously a long-standing activist and, and a vegan, I believe, and, and does a lot of work around um, sustainability alongside uh, the roles that she's more famous for. Um, and then loads of representatives from from business and the business community. And the, the, the hope is that we are, you know, it's called the Net Zero Festival. We want to celebrate and showcase what is this really vibrant story, this really exciting, um, slightly scary, but hugely impactful transition that we're all on. And that's the that's the goal over those two days. You've got a wide range of sponsors, but I was surprised to see that Drax Power is amongst them. Yeah, um, I mean, they're, you know, they are part of the net zero community in some ways. And, um, you know, they their plans are based around negative emissions, around biomass with carbon capture and storage. Um, and they don't that's do obviously... carbon capture and storage. And a lot of people criticise the fact that they bring their biomass across the Atlantic. And there are questions about whether they're actually using new growth rather than sort of scrap timber, as is suggested. Yeah. And I mean... They're not obviously not without controversy, and they've been criticised a lot for exactly what you've you've just set out. I mean, their argument is they absolutely are using sustainable feedstocks. They maintain that the the feedstocks they're using are kind of the offcuts after the timber has been felled for use in other things, and it would otherwise just be being burnt without any use whatsoever. So they, you know, they're insistent that they have kind of verified their chain to prove that these are delivering emission reductions. Um, I fully appreciate that as a point that's very much contested by, by activists and others. And I think that is obviously a debate that will continue to run and run and run. Um, I mean, our our perspective from kind of the, the, the companies that we work with is that if, you know, they are any, any company that is committed to the net zero transition, we're keen to, talk to and be involved with because this is a transition that is evolving all the time there's obviously going to be missteps along the way but there's also huge opportunities in areas that people don't necessarily think that there might be and we do need everyone to come together to make this transition I mean the, the tagline for our festival is faster together and there is a sort of perception sometimes in environmentalism of well we're not going to talk to airlines or, or we're not going to talk to energy companies and i completely understand that and i think there's some value in that there's some value in trying to sort of take away organizations moral license as it's called but you know from a media perspective we write for and want to serve the entirety of the green economy people who are committed to net zero and there are lots of carbon intensive businesses that are trying to transition and that are evolving how they work and are investing in cutting edge new technologies um you know some of the world's biggest oil companies might have terrible records in one part of their business but they also operate you know the uk's largest ev charging network for example so it's a very messy space and it's very very difficult um but our view that is if you sort of take a degree of sort of absolutism to this and you're reporting on how you'd like the world to be rather than how it actually is you do risk almost undermining the transition because you're just saying well you can't be involved in it and and what those companies will do if you say you can't be involved in it is they'll just carry on with business as usual and it will probably take a lot longer to then make that pivot if you are excluding all of them from any involvement in these discussions um 
I also completely appreciate that is a very, very delicate and difficult balancing act because you do have to be aware that some of these organisations, you know, aren't always acting in bad faith and they are trying to, in good faith, and they are trying to delay. And there's obviously been a long, you know, dishonourable record of organisations doing that as we're all too aware. So it's a very, very tricky balancing act and it's not one we necessarily get right all the time, but it is, we, we do feel that it's important to have a big tent and as long as you're facilitating, you know, the debate and the discussion from the first principles of this transition needs to happen, it needs to happen a lot faster because climate change is real and these technologies are better, um, then you can hopefully have a kind of constructive constructive debate for all and, 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 and bring people together in a way that does catalyse faster progress. James, I think you're the most optimistic guest I've had on the podcast. Oh, believe me, I'm not most of the time. <laughs> I'm not a lot of the time. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm perpetually angry on Twitter and despairing that we're not going faster, and I'm deeply, deeply worried about the the decades ahead. I, you know, I, I, I think we're in a very, very, very scary place where things will get worse before they get better. Um, but I think, I do think, sort of despondency in the face of that threat becomes self-perpetuating and and we do have the technologies and we do know what policies work and and we do have the engineering and humanity to to accelerate the progress that is needed and increasingly we have evidence that that progress delivers benefits for all that it it, it can drive you know it's it's not it's not we're asking people to put on a hair shirt and and curl up in the cold. You know, we we can do this in a way that reduces costs, improves security, um, improves health, improves quality of life for everyone globally. Um, and we're not necessarily asking for the immense trade-offs that maybe 20, 30 years ago the environmental movement had to ask for. We're not that's that's not the pitch anymore. The pitch is for a better world, not 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 one in which we sort of have to have to trade off um the, the things we've become used to so um i mean again that's really complicated we're going to a whole debate about green degrowth couldn't we but you know I, I just i just think there has to be a sort of sense of this is what we're aiming for and what we're aiming for will be good and positive and there are ways to get there and while there'll be setbacks along the way we can do it and i i think if you kind of lose sight of that then then the worst case scenarios just become almost inevitable and and those worst case scenarios again i think are are absolutely terrifying i mean i i have a line that i do when i talk publicly i always think about the net zero transition is that we are we're under reporting the excitement and the vibrancy of what's happening and we're also under reporting the truly terrifying consequences if we don't deliver this we we, we don't understand how bad it could get and we also don't understand how good and big and positive it could get and we're just sort of bumbling along in the middle here thinking oh everything will be okay and business as usual can continue and that's just not true and we're going to get well we are getting a sort of very very um stark wake-up call well some deep thoughts to take away from that and thank you very much james james murray editor-in-chief of business green thank you for talking to the sustainable futures report thanks for having me on thanks anthony 
The Net Zero Festival takes place in London from the 31st of October to the 1st of November. The website is netzerofestival.com. I'm planning to go. The content looks interesting and I hope I shall meet some people who will agree to talk to the Sustainable Futures Report. That's it for this week. Thanks once again for listening. Thanks as always for being a loyal patron. Details at patreon.com SFR. And I'll be back next Thursday with more news about sustainable futures. I'm Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. Until next time. Thank you.